The Sports Career Podcast, episode 240. How can sport reboot our global society? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a sport industry professional in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in sports business, but also having that curiosity to how sport is really developing our global society on and off the sports field. So I hope today's episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week I bring back Matt Rogan, who has already been a special guest on my podcast show, which was episode 166, and we talk about how data is influencing the future of the sports industry. It's a brilliant podcast if you really want to understand the power of data in sports. But getting back to Matt's career, Matt is the co-founder of Two Circles, which is a sports marketing agency. They work with clients in the sports industry, helping them utilize data so they make better business decisions. But in this podcast chat, Matt and I talk about his brand new book, which is called All to Play For, and it's all about how sport can reboot our future. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and that's when today's episode, Matt and I will be talking about his sports career journey, but also digging deep in how sport can really elevate our global society. Matt, it's such a joy to have you back on the podcast show. And to the listeners who haven't listened to Matt's first podcast, it was episode 166. Gosh, that feels a long time ago, where we looked at how data is influencing the sports industry. And we talk in a lot more depth of that and his career journey. But Matt, could you just provide a little snapshot of your sports career journey if somebody hasn't heard of you? Sure. It's nice to be back. So it was, um, we were just saying, it was this nice swanky Singapore hotel where we talked last time at Chris Robb's Mass Participation Sport Conference and how times change. So we're now here in our respective homes in, in albeit sunny England. So my background, my background started off as a strategy consultant, work in the world of sports and entertainment uh, after that. So the MBA and MTV spent a, a really happy 10 years, then went and ran a professional services business. So a sports psychologist uh, moved into the world of, of business psychology. And so led that for, for seven years, actually, a business called Lane 4. Um, and then put all of those things together. So a bit of strategy, a bit of understanding and working for rights holders and a bit of the sort of dynamics of change and leadership development set up two circles uh, co-founded it in 2011. So it's a data, as you say, data-driven sports agency working entirely for rights holders on strategic questions. You can see where the, the background fits in. And step back from the day-to-day there just over a year ago. Since then, been doing a, a bunch of things we'll, we'll talk about. But that's my, uh, that's my potted history. 46 for my sins now, sadly. Latterly, 46. I've uh, got two young kids. I was hoping they'd be tennis players and, and footballers. Got an older boy and younger girl, and they're both cricketers and hockey players. But you know, you don't get everything you want in life. 
Well, it's still amazing, that little snapshot. Just quickly, Matt, in the moment, what have you learned from that experience? Particularly if people are listening going, you know, I've got, I want to pivot in this industry. You've done that. You've done different experiences, but it's really created a great wealth of knowledge in the industry to where you are now. I'd just love to reflect on that point. The first thing, I reminded every day of the fact of how young the sports industry is. Right? So it's you know, 60 years old, give or take, that 60 years since Marvel Cormac at least came up with the idea and started delivering on the promise of IMG. And so I'm reminded every day of how immature or young our industry is, actually. And, and so <laughs> given, my, given my age, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of worked through, I guess, almost the last half of it, which is a very scary thing to say. And also a half where I've basically sat across its digitization. So when I was finishing my languages, French and German degree, in my final year, I was using a word processor and didn't get anywhere near a computer to get through my degree. And now look at us sort of best part of, of 30 years on and we're living our lives completely differently. And yet, actually, the things that make a difference in the sports industry different to how it was 60 years ago with with Mark McCormack so the most important things I think from the from in terms of driving change in the industry across the pivot we're seeing now is is those that succeed are able to structure their thinking very lucidly can read a, a set of divergent signs often conflicting signs and where the industry is going and make sense of them and come up with clarity that they can understand you know the world of Jerry Maguire is long gone right and, and they can understand other people's points of view and work with other people as they go through those changes. They don't shout, show me the money at them necessarily. And they're also to that point, you know, very increasingly sport is becoming evidence led in the way in which it makes decisions finally, because when I started in the industry 25 years ago, it was principally making decisions based on what your hunch might be as, as the right thing to do or maybe not even your hunch, but what other well-connected people in the industry thought was in their best interest to do. And unfortunately, they're all things that are breaking down now. Absolutely. And do you know what? That was my first ever book I read, that Mark McCallback book, What Isn't Taught at Harvard. But really quickly, because I want to touch on this, because it was, as I said, my first book, because he was a lawyer, yeah. then he represented golfers, because that was his passion. And he had the three best golfers at the time, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, and Jack Nicholas. Out of interest, is that model still the same now, in a way of how somebody's got a skill like being a lawyer and then put it into the industry? Or do you think things have changed with regards to sport education, if that makes sense, to work in this industry? There's no doubt that the genesis of the sports industry is, is very close to law. Um, so when I worked at the NBA, the, the joke at the NBA was that NBA stood for nothing but attorneys because it was all, you know, everybody was, was ex-lawyers apart from me. I think there are different places you can learn those three skills that I talked about, those three things that I talked about. So the ability to structure your thinking very, very logically and lucidly. You know, so I notice people who I've interviewed who might have developed that skill in quite a challenging degree. So they might have been science, done a science degree, or they might have done management or engineering or something where, which also, or history even, or geography, which also involves looking at a divergent often conflicting pieces of information and being able to create a structured logic from them. You might be naturally very analytic and, and numbers focused, but you might have become um, a good listener and a good leader and a good understanding of human emotion by being a football captain or a hockey captain or, or, or something else. 
and and you might have been very evidence-led because of the background you've grown up in or the fact that um, you might actually not have had that much cash growing up and so you need to make sure that every every penny you spent in the supermarket or something has a has a real material impact on your on your health and your and your well-being so those three things i think structured thinking right and left brain evidence-based decision making you know you can get from a lot of different places but it would be remiss of me not to say that that i i do think still that there are great training grounds for long-term careers in sport and they law perhaps accountancy maybe strategy consultancy definitely even just just a really good graduate scheme can also be a very good grounding and finally only now are there organizations also providing that grounding in the sports industry so we're very proud of the learning development we provided at two circles and continue to provide but also very you know there are some great private organizations offering very affordable learning development courses your podcast is a, is a great example of, of just the massive improvement in learning opportunities for people to to join the industry sooner so i think it's it's just keep in mind the skills you need to develop and, and make sure that you do that either inside or outside sport absolutely before we talk about today's podcast topic i do want to dive in one section because you've probably got wealth of experience in this from a recruitment standpoint what do you what have you looked for when getting somebody or hiring somebody at two circles can you just break it down to the listener of you know if people are applying for roles what do you look for for them to be part of your team yeah so i'll ask this from a couple of perspectives so from a two circles perspective and of course you know that business is changing and evolving too but we're always looking for analytic skills and as i say you don't necessarily have to develop those by doing a numbers-based degree some geographers and historians make great analytic people analytics academics and, and academics just because we thought it was the best proxy we could find for being able to grasp new things quickly and if we could see that people had done things other than focused entirely on their academics through their young years that was fine but we wanted basically what we meant by academics was was just having experiences between the ages, I guess, of sort of 12 and 20, 12 and 25, 12 and 30, that meant you, you know, you were used to assimilating information quickly. So analytics, academics, an intuitive understanding of the business of sport, by which we meant um, that, that, that you'd had the ability to, I guess, that when, when you were exhausted and, and sat down after a long day at working, that you still couldn't help yourself but look at a, a football ground and say, why is that Chinese advertising on that advertising boarding? Or why is that stand full and that one not full? You know, and, and you just, that's the one actually that I think you're born with. Either you're interested in that business side of sport or you're not. And, and so that was the third one, analytics, academics, intuitive understanding of the business of sport, which is very different to having worked in it. We weren't, didn't care about that at all. And the fourth one, was emotional intelligence so you know the and we could spot that very clearly at an interview so you know I used to deliberately change up my body language a little bit look interested look less interested or uh, used to used to just kind of give clues away and just say things to see if person we were interviewing would ask me a question and sort of change the dynamic in the room little things like that and of all of those the most intelligence actually was was by far the most important cool i hope the listeners are taking their notes on that and finally i want to find a final thing and this was so refreshing when i saw this on linkedin with the guys of two circles post hamper Altman is providing feedback because you did 
I think your graduate scheme and it was wonderful when your team took the time to provide feedback to people who didn't get an opportunity and it was just like for me feedback is where we can grow not just career related as anything could you just provide any recruiters how important that is just to build the rapport with those people applied so feedback as a tool as a device of two circles was just completely hardwired in you, you know we were trying to do something quickly the opportunity was clearly there for us in the agency it was obvious and very early on and so you know we couldn't stand on ceremony in, in order to grasp that and so that was role model frankly the person i'd give most credit to for that was my co-founder gareth who um to gareth was a was an elite 800 meter runner ran for britain and that elite sports mentality is hugely powerful there because if effectively Gareth wouldn't have got anywhere near where he got without the, a strong relationship with the coach when the coach was able to tell him things he was noticing technically. And Gareth's ability to act on that was, was from a sporting perspective, also from a business perspective, was, was fabulous. He was a terrific listener. And we tried to role model that, giving and receiving feedback with each other so that that played through across the team. And so if you create that culturally, then uh, and that permeates the whole business, then ultimately providing that feedback to people who apply to you and take the time to apply to you is a moral responsibility, really. I have to say, when when the dialogue is directly with the organisation, it's quite straightforward to do. I must admit that when we were, at some points, we were having thousands of applications for, for sort of three or four roles, especially using digital platforms, and it, it does get unmanageable in, in that instance. But whenever people took proper time to apply to us, we always try to give proper time back. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. But let's get to today's podcast topic. I've been super excited. I'm going to actually show it from a video standpoint, your new book. And I want to just sort of talk about this now. But before we talk in depth of the book itself, from your experience writing it, how can sport reboot our global society? What we used to say at Two Circles was we were looking to grow T-shaped people. Okay, so what T-shaped people meant was you might have an interest in data or digital or tech development or whatever it is. That was great. And that was ultimately what we were hiring you for. But we were looking, and that was your depth of a specialism. But across the top, we were looking to broaden your broader understanding of how that fits into the organization as a whole, whether it's the um, the way in which your skill drives a, a commercial rights organization or whatever, or the way in which you learn to run the business or you wait to do marketing or whatever it is. We want to broaden you out as well as your deep specialism. And I guess I've, I, I found as I was leading two circles and then Gareth took over as chief exec and I became chairman, I was sort of reflecting on the fact that, that my interest in sport is also quite T-shaped. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested and in, in very proud of the data and digital agency that two circles has become but my interest is far broader than the commercial side of professional sport so um, i'm interested in how covid has impacted sport from top to bottom in terms of not just the professional game but also what my daughter feels going back to play with her hockey team for the first time in 15 months i'm interested in how sport can help shorten the queues at our doctor's surgeries that are now you know longer than the doctors can actually handle i'm interested in how being how exercising firstly in the morning in primary schools can keep kids learning and productive through the course of the year or 
how professional sports teams can can be an influence in their local communities to help their fans stay on the straight and narrow mentally through challenging times. You know, I'm interested in so many different things, and uh, and um, I was also quite frustrated in the way in which we cover sports in Britain and also I think it's fair to say around the world so we're perfectly happy to have professional athletes on the news pages and we also at times we have them in the business pages but we never take a step back and say well what is this all permeating um, influence that sport has on our community and why don't we join some of those dots up to talk about how sport can help from a health perspective, an education perspective, how professional sport will change. And so I sort of put all that in a bit of a washing machine, sort of rumbled it around in the dryer, talked to 30 people around the world in the, in the sports industry to see what they thought in terms of the way the world was going and finished up with 10 predictions for how I thought sport was going to change and evolve because I care about it. And just one bring with regards to the book because it was such a refreshing read. And I just want your point of view now. Do you think from the last 15 months or even longer, we've always focused on the business of sport, basically going back to Jerry Maguire, where is the money? I don't mean from an athlete standpoint, but we've sort of forgotten the physical activity point of view of just staying active. Like for me, looking back, even now, I'm seeing so many more dog walkers in my village, so many more people cycling a bike. Like as much as COVID did have or has had an influence in the sports industry in, in many ways, have you seen there have been positives but we just never saw them. We never see them because we didn't take attention to them. I just want to touch on that point. I guess the phrase probably is, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And, you know, you and I run a <laughs> very sweaty 5K in Singapore together. And, you know, if I just think about the, you know, how bubbly and fresh and, and full of endorphins we were for the various hours of that conference afterwards, you know, it's it's... It's been very straightforward for us to take those kind of things for advantage until they were taken away for granted rather until they were taken away from us and so i think a few things have happened over the course of the last of the last year absolutely we all realize what an impact being active has on us whether we have we're parents and we see that our kids when they're locked in their houses can be kind of grumpy and and don't learn and slightly dis connected from the world and disconnected from themselves and their happiness notice we're perhaps not as productive from a working perspective we don't get the chance to play five aside with our mates a couple of times a, a week we've noticed that covid there's no doubt is is more aggressive when it's in situations where people aren't healthy and don't have some sort of core exercise as part of their routines and their, and their lung respiratory systems and we've also noticed that we seem to be in a bit of a trust vacuum in terms of the way we consider other strong forces in, in life, right? So, you know, trust in government is at all times low, trust in corporates is at all time low, you know, and then you notice athletes in the United States, in the UK, you know, sort of filling that void as well. Look at Mark of Rashford in the UK, look at LeBron James in the States or Naomi Osaka in Japan, you, you know, and so, um, all those things going on, and it's no coincidence, I think, that sport, we've noticed sport popping up in all those places in, in a much more broader way than, as you say, just the pure kind of dollars, cents and, and euros of, of professional sport. But professional sport clearly is needed to influence in all those places. So how can we build that trust relating to that point you've just said? In particular, you know, we were writing, we were writing the book as Donald Trump was busy going from bad to worse in North America 
Boris Johnson in the UK was having his probably his most challenging period in terms of reaction from, from the British population. There's a lot of work on trust that says that Edelman do some, PR firm Edelman do some really good stuff on this that say that, that ultimately trust in institutions, you have to believe that they're competent and you have to believe that they're ethical. So um, in terms of traditional NGOs and the kind of people you believe would like to be trusted, there's, there's real belief that they're ethical still, but a bit of a challenge from a lot of people if you look at the research in terms of their competence and their efficiency and effectiveness. Governments around the world are traditionally perceived to be competent but struggling in terms of ethics, actually. And, and the same, and sometimes seen as ethical in some countries, but not seen as competent. And certainly from a corporate, seen as very competent, but challenges around ethics, in particular, if you look at financial services or oil and gas or, or, or automotive or any of those other industries that sort of slightly challenging our our sustainability of our planet and the sustainability and equality of our, of our globe so you know you're then marcus rashford uh, the english footballer who come out of a situation of food poverty uh, and you're prepared to use your platform to talk about that you can hit that trust vacuum you're very effective in that because people believe you are both extremely competent at what you do you speak clearly but also clearly you've you've focused on excellence in other parts of your career for the last 20 years and you're also extremely ethical. There's clearly no, doesn't need to do that. There's no hidden agenda. And that, I think, is, is the space that sport's finding itself walking into. Not without problems, but finding itself very effectively walking into because, you know, whoever it is that leads us through the next 25 years is going to have to be able to answer pretty clear questions around their own personal ethics and, and view of the world. Quite a deep question for a morning. <laughs> it is, but... It really relates to your book because I've had luck enough to read it. And I said to you, my first response already, you provide a 360 approach. And hopefully when people listen to this, they're getting a snapshot. And But one thing we haven't said is we haven't named what is the book's name? Like, so if you don't mind, could you just name the book? What's it about in a very brief? And then we can dig deep on a few areas that inspired me in the book. That's cool with you. So it's called All to Play For, How Sport Can Reboot Our Future. All to play for because, just as, as I've hopefully just described, despite the last 15 months, wherever we are in the world, that's been so challenging, actually, because of some of the things I mentioned and some things that were happening before that as well, you know, I think we're on the precipice of sport entering a bit of a golden era and, and an ability to influence far deeper across our society than, than we ever might have done before. So all to play for, it's all up for grabs if we manage the next the next few weeks and months and years correctly um, and how sport can reboot our future because I can I do believe it can play a catalyst across the piece from health to education to professional sport to our kids growing up in a happier healthier world so you've probably already got the sense in terms of what it's about it is very broad look at the influence that sport has across um, across the world that we live in from professional sport and the way in which that will change through to the way in which it will keep us out of doctor's surgeries. It can bind communities together that have maybe forgotten how to get on. Um, it's not completely utopian. So it looks at some areas like drugs, for example. It looks at some areas like, like class and gender exclusion. But it, it, I would say it's glass half full look at, uh, at the world. And finishes, as I said, with, with 10 predictions for 
the way in which I think the future of sport will look manifestly different in the next 10 years? Honestly, you've got to read this book because, it, as I said to Matt again, I said I felt like a student again when I read it, just from where sport was to where it is in the present and then looking at things for the future because you provide some great cases. But there's two areas I want to touch on because there's one theme that I think you establish a lot in this book is how we connect with different generations. Like you had Generation X and then the Millennials. Could you just explain from sport industry professionals how mindful as marketers salespeople that we gotta look at sport from a generation standpoint not to get people active but how we look at things moving forward i love your thoughts on that it was one of the most interesting bits of the book to write and research actually and so i wrote the book with uh, the support and friendship of a lady called kerry potter who I, I wanted to write it with somebody of a different gender i wanted to write it with also somebody who hadn't lived in the sports industry bubble for the last 25 years. But Kerry and I are almost the same age. And so being mid-40s, as I mentioned, you know, we grew up in the in the word processor, as I mentioned, and grew up in a, a culture that was still was quite command and control, that was genetically built to trust governments, to play the sports we were told were good sports to play, um, to see the only screens we touched were when our homework was done. Um, because that was done on bits of paper and most things she and I both played were involved balls. We were fortunate enough just about to get out of university in a world before student debt was too horrific. Okay, so we'll clock forward 25, 30 years, said sadly, and we are now probably at the height of our of our sort of disposable income in terms of being able to buy tickets and do fun things and things. But now we have to buy tickets as families, uh, which is great. But I noticed the kids that we're, we're um, bringing up have totally different perceptions of, of sport and how it should be. I spent years in my college bar debating whether darts was a sport and snooker was a sport because because it wasn't hard work. And I was kind of brought up in a world where sport had to be hard work. And now, like my son couldn't care less about the word sport. You know, he, he, he cares about playing and he plays Fortnite, he plays hockey, he plays cricket, he plays some, some traditional things, but he also quite likes parkour and doing things that just kind of unstructured play. And so one of the things we say in the book is, you know, future generations will absolutely buy into play but they don't necessarily want to play by structured rules. And they will ask the question as to why a cricket match need be five days long or why overs need to have six balls in them because they always had. And so he won't be disrespectful of tradition, but new generations will, will also want to put their own stamp on sport. And one of the things I think we need to be careful of in the next um, 10, 15 years as my son goes from surreptitiously trying to find ways to extricate money from me to to, to spend on his own spare time to having his own money and his own disposable income is when I'm 65, I can't be in control of sport because in order for it to stay relevant, we need to pass the baton on and it needs to change and it needs to evolve. And some of the things you see the Olympics doing in terms of bringing new sports in, you know, that innovation and change is completely fundamental. The Olympics used to have tug of war in it, but it changed and evolved and it needs to change and evolve again. Just loving what you've just said. And I, I'm glad you pointed out the play element because that's again another sort of philosophy in the book 
But with another example, because I want to get back to the physical activity, you know, we always talk about the business side. Even my podcast, I looked at my podcast going, man, there's so much on business. If it's football industry, esports, or, you know, player representation, I'm going, hold on, let's go back to physical activity. Let's give that some limelight. With regards to your sort of career plus lifestyle, how has running influenced your journey along the way? Like, because you're passionate in the book about trying to, solve this obesity element but I, I'm a sort of believer you've got to be the role model of your own life with regards to solving that problem before you can educate others of what to do but going back to running how has sports supported you as business owner a father or just a you know human being in general I actually dedicated the book to my kids Connor and Neve, and I wrote in the front was work hard and play harder I was very I guess conditioned by my experience at my state school and my parents who, whenever I had exams coming up, they would always make sure that I was playing enough sport. I was always challenged if I looked like I was going to cut too much to focus on my exams, because for me, I'm at my best when I'm, probably my haircut isn't today, but I'm at my best because I've just got out shower and gone for a run, but my brain's at my best when I've been out and I've had a chance to, to, to de-stress and, and sort of, I guess just think about some other stuff. Listen to one of your podcasts out running often. So through the busiest period of two circles, for example, I was trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon, which was really formative for me, not just in terms of going outside and, and just going for a plod, but having something else to aim for outside of my, my working career. And that's, that's sort of how I've always lived my life. So the work hard, but play harder and you know, be able to set your work and your career in context for me is really important. I would always caution against people who, you know, when they're working hard at work, everything else falls by the wayside because, you, you know, by the time, and most people listening to this podcast have grown up, they're going to be working 50 years, 45, 50 years. And, you know, that's, a, that's an ultra marathon. No, it's not a sprint. And so to do that sustainably and happily and healthily, you have to have things outside your, your working world. And so for me, um, where well, it used to be tennis and football, I got a little bit slow, a bit slight dodgy knees for football, tennis and running now, but given I'm a professional taxi driver, so my kids tend to be more running than tennis at the moment. But yeah, I, I think philosophically, I think it's about working hard, but playing harder. Would you mind tapping into that example, doing the Boston Marathon? Because to me, I, I was really moved by that experience of you competing, because it was the year before the bombings, if I'm correct. The year after, actually, yes. Yeah. So, so what happened was um, Boston Marathon, you have to qualify. Straightforward qualification for me. So I think I had to go under three hours 10 and managed it at a race in... Where did I manage it? I managed it at a race finally in Spain, the San Sebastian Marathon. Um, however, I had been due to run six months previously at Berlin and got injured. And actually in Berlin, I was... For Berlin, I was fitter and probably would have run a little bit quicker because the course was a bit easier as well but it's funny the way life works you know if I qualified at Berlin I'd have been running um the Boston Marathon the year the bomb went off and, and probably would have been if you look at my finish time probably would have been 15 20 minutes through the finish at the point the bomb went off and when I did run the race I ran a bit hard and finished off in the medical tent which was 20 yards from the finish so yeah, it's, a, it's a funny the, the way the world works. And, you know, my mum's had one of those too. So my, I have a plant downstairs called Beryl. And Beryl is an offcut 
um, from my mum's plants, Beryl the former, that used to be in Scotland Yard, where my mum used to work in a buying role in Scotland Yard. And Beryl survived an IRA bombing that happened the day my mum had a day off from Scotland Yard, you know, and, and Beryl ended up the other side of the office from when having originally been on her desk. And, you know, things like that, who knows, none of us are, can really ever say, you know, what what is it that happened and those kind of sliding doors moments, things can happen, can't happen. But I guess it does reinforce why all of us want to do something with our lives that we love. And, and ultimately for me, that's just being in and around the sports space. But it also means that, you know, work is just one part of our broader lives. And so I, any advice I give to people in, in the sports career space would be say, look, you know, the danger of doing something we love for a job is that it becomes all consuming. And so let's never forget why we love sport in the first place to make sure we keep playing as well as working in it. Absolutely. And the, again, this is the final one with regards to your book, because I just think it's so important to the listeners. You provided like the, the Marcus Rashford example, which is in the book, but people are listening going, well, I'm not a Marcus Rashford. I don't have the biggest sort of following online, I'm not a professional footballer, but how can the listener right now influence sort of the future of sports with regards to the conversation we've had today? I think there's two things as you look to grow and move into the role that you really feel that will get you out of bed every single morning. The first thing is, is just recognising that sport is going through such seismic change and, and we'll make more mistakes. We'll have more uh, European Super League breakaway conversations and you know, have to retrench on positions and this kind of thing because it's a young industry still and we'll still make mistakes. And so having the emotional intelligence in the industry sort of recognise that, not be judgmental, to listen and challenge appropriately and, and remember that any business can find far more people competent in terms of skills to do the roles than capable of handling the change is, is really important. So trust yourself to be yourself first thing and the second one is is just challenge everything that's done in a certain way because it's always been done like that right a lot of things in the sports industry the ways of doing things were created at the same time where i was doing my finals german essays on a word processor right the world has changed completely and so challenge but challenge appropriately and if you ask yourself one question every day it would be are we really sure this is working? How can this be better? And that mindset of just continuous improvement because the sport industry can still be a lot better and a lot more effective than it is today. Again, I hope people are enjoying this conversation. I certainly am. I'll probably have to re-listen to it to take more notes uh, for what you've just said on that. those two questions. Matt, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now? I enjoyed the most. I think... To look, I've been ridiculously fortunate to have been part of that two circles journey. Um, and ultimately, we hired 250 people in eight years, right? About one every sort of eight working days. More when you figure that some people, not many, but some people left along the way as well. And so the thing that gives me, it makes me sound really old, but the things that gives me the most pride now is seeing some of those people go on to do completely amazing things, whether that's in two circles or ancillary roles they play as non-execs, directors, someone running a session this evening for a hugely talented guy called Timmy Arnold. He joined us out of our accountancy firm, he's now a trustee at behind every kick, a charity. 
as well as leading two circles work with one of the biggest sports in the world probably can't think there's an nda on that so i can't say who but you know it's just the pride you get from seeing people achieve their potential and the pride you get for seeing claire Vigas, one of our best hires i think probably ever lead out our client conference having joined us straight out of university i'm not sure how old claire is and she won't thank me for guessing but she can't be thirsty yet like that's that's what you get the most pride and pleasure from two circles is always fundamentally a business about people and yeah it's definitely that i can hear that in your voice and again thank you so much for sharing um you know your thoughts on that question because I love it because I can hear the real you and I hope the listeners too. I like to finish with an inspirational question Matt and you've provided bags of advice guidance explanation where the sports industry should go forward with regards to your book but I like to finish with this question from your experience and you provided some already but feel free to recap if you want what three qualities do you need to pursue a career in the sports industry? Maybe I'll stretch that. In order to, to pursue a career in the sport, sports industry, um, I think it's a blend of feeding that intrinsic interest I mentioned earlier on. So keep reading, keep listening, keep learning in whatever way works for you. Because some people learn by listening, some by reading, some by talking to people. So just never stop learning. And, and also always be prepared to ask a question, right? So it's not about if you get a chance to chat to somebody, just blowing them away with, with the amount that you know or the amount of research you've done, but always be prepared to ask a question because I've always been more impressed by people who, who show an active interest and engagement than sort of telling me all about themselves. So, so I kind of put those two ways together. And, and the question can be, could I spend a couple of hours talking to you? The question could be, is there anything else you think I should learn or you, anyone else you think I should talk to? The question could be, how was your day? Those two things together, I think, in terms of a way of making your way in. And once in, I think it's just about those three skill sets I talked about. So structured thinking, right and left brain, and using evidence to drive your decisions. And, and none of us will ever stop learning, right? So. You know, I've come out of, I'm sort of trying to work on my T-shape at the moment. I've, I've done my depth on the, the commercial agency and now I'm sort of trying to keep learning in terms of how do I structure my thinking on a podcast? How can I ask the right questions of a journalist so they know I care as well as I'm just doing my job to get some coverage for the book? How do I learn about a whole new sort of evidence? So I work out what all the things I could do in the publishing industry will make a big difference to the book and None of us have ever stopped learning, even when we're 46. Just on that learning point, what did you learn the most from writing this book? The benefit of getting outside your bubble, right? So I, I'd like to think that I'm T-shaped enough that I could have I could have written the whole thing myself, but it wouldn't have been half as good um, going for a run in the morning, Kerry going for a run, both locked down, meeting at the War Memorial in Tame and having a coffee outside and just having a natter and having a challenge my thinking. And so, yeah, just, just the benefit of getting out of your bubble, having somebody challenge your thinking and say, that's fine, Matt, but nobody will, outside the sports industry will understand a word you're saying, like, row it back. You know, so having a critical friend and, and getting outside your own bubble is, is fundamental. Hopefully you're a, dig, you're a digital critical friend for everyone in the moment, Ed. Well, look, Matt, thank you so much for those tips, this whole conversation. I hope that, again, the listeners have enjoyed it. 
How can people interact with you online and grab a copy of your book? So I'm online and you find me on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well. So it's just Matt Rogan Sport. It's all very easy. My website is Matt Rogan Sport. Um, I'm too daft to remember different ones. So I managed to find them all together. Just Matt Rogan Sport. Bookwise, uh, welcome to, to go to the big hairy animal that is, uh, is Amazon and you can buy one there. All I'd ask is if you, if you do, it's brilliant and hugely helpful, just like it is for your pod, if people can leave a review as well. Um, that's great. So I should say, yeah, so I should say it's, it's formally out on the 1st of July. So um, the best way to do it, if you're going to order it before the 1st of July, it'd be great if you could order it from Amazon because it helps the algorithm. If you're going to order it after the 1st of July, support whatever local bookshop you can. Amazing. To all listeners listening in, all those links, even the pre-order link will be on my website related to this blog post. And also I'll be doing a little book giveaway as well because it's a brilliant book and I love to support this man. I learned so much from you, Matt. So on that note, thank you for coming back on the show and I appreciate you coming back on. Thank you. Pleasure, mate. We should just do another five-star hotel next time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What a fascinating podcast chat with Matt. And I have to say, every time I have the opportunity to speak to Matt, I always learn something new. Every conversation, and it was a real joy to have him back on the podcast, and I really do hope you enjoyed this podcast chat as well. And without a doubt, I hope you are a bit curious about his new book, because as I said, I felt like a student reading it about where sport is moving forward, and I hope you've got a bit of curiosity in where you can fit in to the sports industry, meaning how can you influence the future of sport? Like we mentioned, like the Marcus Rashford example and ask a question, you know, sometimes we can't relate to elite athletes. We're not at the same level as them with regards to their social media following, with regards to how they influence in their niche, which for him is being a professional footballer. But in this book, Matt provides other case studies how Ordinary people like you and me can influence the future sport. We don't have to be famous to move the industry going in the right direction in a positive light. And having, as Matt said, that philosophy of playing sport, then using sports, this traditional model of rules. So I hope this really opened up your eyes where sport is going forward. It's a way of playing than just a way of competing all the time. But with regards to the sports career development element of this podcast. I hope you've got a better understanding what companies like Two Circles are looking for with regards to them building their teams. Like what Matt said about what Two Circles look for, how he looks for finding people to add to their team. Model that advice and apply it to every application you do with regards to a company because like Matt said it's a two-way conversation when you're in that interviewing environment and if you make mistake ask for feedback I think that was so important I mentioned that because I I only grow myself when I make mistakes and when I do receive the feedback I take it on board and I do not the same mistake again but I do whatever that action is again and try and learn from it moving forward so look there was so much we discussed in this podcast even myself I will have to re-listen to it and take notes I hope you enjoy this podcast too and really put into practice Matt's 
key tips right at the end with regards to the qualities you need with regards to pursuing a career in the sports industry. And the one of my favorite right at the end was asking good questions. That is what inspired me to do this podcast show. But if you ask good questions, you get better quality answers. So put that into practice today and really make it happen with us, your sports career development now and just do it. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Matt said, build those three core skill sets, which is structured thinking, developing your right and left brain, building evidence that drive your decisions with regards to your self-development and learning, but also get out your comfort bubble. This is key when pursuing a career in the sports industry.